Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome to the podcast number 510. Uh, we have added a show in New York. Somehow, some way, Kyle Clark. What? There were not enough tickets for the people that wanted to come see the shows that I'm doing at Caroline's, my first, second, and third. Um, so I apologize if that sounds like a humble brag. I think it's pretty rad. That is pretty rad. Um, so uh, we added a show at uh, 11.59 to 59 seconds on Saturday, May 3rd oh. at Caroline's. So go to uh, carolines.com and get tickets for that. I feel like it was a missed opportunity to say the show didn't start at midnight. <gasps> because technically that means it starts tomorrow. Oh, so that's why. I'm just saying synergy and other words too, that people I say. Like that word. That's a terrible word. I like when it's the computer that Jem had. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You mean Jem? The who's totally outrageous. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, businesswoman by day, rockstar by night. Rockstar by night. Yeah, Jem yeah. and the what was the band? What was the holograms? Gems? The holograms. Jem and the holograms. Best part of that show: the villains, the misfits, but not the Glendanzig misfits. But not misfits, the not those misfits. Which but wouldn't that have been amazing? Such a better cartoon. Oh. And they designed to look like the skeleton warriors. Yeah, you mean like the skeleton warriors from Karate I'm, Kid? Or wait, was there skeleton warriors? That was Cobra Kai in the Karate Kid. Yeah, but in the Halloween costumes, they were in the skeleton. You know, they were dressed like skeletons. Oh, I guess that's right. They were kicking the crab. Oh, the side. You know, he, when he's the shower. Yeah, Johnny was going to decide when he's had enough. That's right. But then Miyagi came. God, that movie's good. It really holds up. I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding. Oh no, it's I, it's an important book to me. When I used to go to therapy, they had the child novelization. I stole it eventually because I would just read it when I was waiting every time. Well, I'll tell you what, you wouldn't have to steal that now because let's just let's, let's say you wanted to find an old copy of Karate Kid. Okay, I'm listening. You could go to where? You could go to Amazon. Let's Ooh, say. all right. So, but if you do, then on this particular episode's page, there's a there's a little bit of there's a banner at the bottom, and if you click on that. Anything you get on Amazon, you'll be supporting the Nerdist Podcast. Including junior novelizations of The Karate Kid. Including that, or Gem and the Holograms, if that's available somewhere. Oh, it's on DVD. Or actual holograms, or gems, or Ooh. skeleton suits. Okay, I just filled my basket up, just right here now with all that stuff. I don't know why you saying I filled my basket up sounds creepy to me, but for some reason it just rubbed me the wrong way. It's, uh, you know... Most it's a th- cart. It's not a basket. It's a shopping cart. I like to think of it as the basket, like the one you hold, so that when you don't need as many items. Yeah. Like the Trader Joe's style situation. I don't like those, though. I like to push shit around. I like... I use it as an arm workout. Do you really? Sometimes, when I'm bored and shopping with my girlfriend. Which arm? Are you going to build up one arm a lot? Like I've got, I feel like I've got a lot of extra work on lefty here. <laughs> right? you got a head start back in the day. Oh, I got a head start on lefty sounds wrong. 
So click on uh, the Amazon banner uh, at the top, at the bottom of this podcast page, and uh, and support the Nerds Podcast. Which I this is Lewis Black, and this was a huge. I was very very excited to have Lewis Black on. I'd never real. I'd met him like one time before at the Aspen Comedy Festival years and years and years ago. Uh, and I mean, as was expected, he was fucking fantastic. Uh, he's promoting his new special, Old Yeller, which premieres on Epics on May 2nd, uh, and Comedy Warriors, which is a comedy special to benefit cystic fibrosis featuring Lewis Black, BJ Novak, Zach Alfanakis, Bob Saget. Uh, if you go to ComedyWarriors.com, you can get more info on that. But um, but what, I mean, I, you know, a comic like Lewis Black, you you go, oh, that guy probably has a lot of interesting thoughts. He's probably, you know, there, there's probably some depth below the in, in, in those waters. I mean, his, his stand-up's great. He's... He's he's very thought provoking, but but had I not actually sat down and talked to him, I wouldn't have understood how deep it goes. This is another one on my list of, of if you're an aspiring comedian, one of the master's classes where you sit down and just get a lot of really good. I content. was yeah, I was. I feel like I feel like this podcast for me sometimes feels like I'm cheating because I feel like I'm just tricking people into telling me secrets. Oh yeah, about I refer things. to this as stand up grad school. <laughs> oh nice. So so we are a grad school. Yeah, cool. nice. But I, yeah. Yeah. I like to, I'm an undergrad, and you're working grad school or something like I'm that. I'm in grad school. I'm a cool. T- I'm the. I'm the cool professor. Ta. Ah, yeah. Professor. There we go. I guess I wouldn't be a professor. Ta. No tas in grad school teach undergrad classes. They do teach undergrad there you classes. Go. Yeah. And Good. then like Lewis Flax, the old timey guy who still has a mortarboard on and teaches with the cane. He's a professor. Yeah. yeah. And everything he do, everything he does, just comes out perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here we go. The Nerds Podcast number five ten with Lewis Black. Now entering nerdist.com. Hey. How's it going, man? Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. All right. Let me turn this phone off. Water is good. There's air in here, which is positive. <laughs> Katie's recording. I'm sorry, I'm a little late. I don't no, no, you're fine. I really, the time between places is really not, it's completely fucked up. Yes, yes, yes. L.A., everything here in L.A. is traffic far. Well, no, it's really become, five years ago, this was five minutes to get here. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no easy way. And it was like, I'm sitting in the cab going, really? A I, cab in Los Angeles? Yeah. I didn't I even know we had those. I won't drive. <laughs> I don't blame you. I stopped. You're literally only three minutes over when you were supposed to be here, so you this is not, I would not even consider that late. That's like... You're still within the safe zone in Los Angeles. Oh, good. Yeah. Can I? I'm gonna deal. Yeah, yeah. You don't need headphones if you don't want them. Yeah. Um, it's good to see you, man. It's I, nice to see I've you. I've never. We've never really. I met you one time, and and I would never expect you to remember it. The first time I went to the Aspen Comedy Festival was 2001, and uh, I saw you there, and I I asked you a super comedy nerd question, yeah. and you had an immediate answer, and it blew me away. I said, <laughs> I said, Louis Black. How long did it take you to find your comedy voice? And without hesitating, you go, 12 years. <laughs> I was like, fuck, really? It's going to take 12 years? Because I'd only been doing Santa for a couple years at that point. Uh, yeah, but you... I was a slow learner, boy. <laughs> no, 12 is what I, I've heard. Uh, that That's around what I've heard yeah. from people. And it takes about that long to figure out who you are on yeah. stage. Do you stand by that, 12 years? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, I mean, I was doing it on and off for a long time. So, I mean, I was. I would do it and I'd go because it wasn't something I was going to do. Really, I was going to write plays. Well, I read that you started doing stand up and the internet never lies. That you started doing stand up <laughs> because you were basically the opening act for your own plays. Well, that was uh, that came later. That actually is when I became comfortable on stage. But I was doing it from like. Out of, right out of college, but on and off. Just I'd go to a place and I'd work for a little while, but not to clubs. I would do. I'd open. You know, there'd be like folk singers or rock and roll places. Right. I was like, I, I and uh, and then eventually uh, I've, I found this club, and then there I, I really it took it took when I was really set up working every night and 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 doing it. It was about um, about twelve years. So what's the pro- how does a I mean, a playwright seems – I mean, at least with stand-up, you can go, oh, well, I'll just go try this material. If it doesn't work, I know. I'll know immediately. But a play feels like, well, I have to get a space and really, like, play this thing out every night. And it, does it, is it similar to stand-up or some of the same mechanics or is it a completely different animal? It's a, it's a different animal. I mean, I was writing plays, so it's totally different. Because so stand-up is, you know, you're out and you're in public and you're, you're the one talking to these people. Uh, playwriting is you're in your room and it's dark and you're <laughs> and you're and you are literally somewhere between you know um, like uh, like a, a Dostoevsky character who's going to kill himself at any minute because why would you be doing this <laughs> and your and your idea of fun is taking a bath and and then the other end of the spectrum where you kind of write two sentences you go oh god I this is it I'll be discovered. <laughs> and you do, and I had no desire to write for TV. I mean, I was stone cold fucking crazy. Really? Yeah. Like crazy in what sense? Because of, of there is there was I was I was writing just to write plays. So it's uh, I mean I've said it a hundred times. You know the income of a playwright. I mean, crack whores make more money. <laughs> there's no there's no real income. Writing plays, they make more money writing plays. <laughs> they make more money. <laughs> It's really extraordinary. I mean, you don't, uh, you really hope to get a teaching job. I mean, if you're just going to write plays, you hope to get a teaching job somewhere and be able to support yourself with that and some productions. So it's 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 essentially like a pure, pure, pure artist lifestyle. I'm doing this just because I enjoy the craft of it and nothing else about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, really, seriously, that's what it is. And the community of it, because it's in the way in which there is a community in terms of of comedy and 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 folks coalesce in terms of that, but it's even more so in terms of uh, theater. Was it weird when you started making money at something? Were you like, "What are you giving me? What am I supposed to do with this?" Uh, it was. It took a while for me to realize I had to actually uh, put it in a bank. <laughs> <laughs> this is stacking up. What am I supposed to do? And it was really the difference between uh, to give you an idea of what it, what financially the difference was that. Um, I had um, I, I had a play produced in uh, uh, Houston, Texas, and I went down there, and then there was a place called Spellbinders, this comedy club. And I was getting the play produced, and I was earning for the play $1,500. And then because the theater had kind of – and this is a major theater. This is a regional theater. This is like AAA ball. I thought I, – I really thought this is it. The door's open, you know. Uh, which is the other part of the delusion of playwriting. You think, oh, this is it. Oh, finally. But they've recognized. Uh, so me and a friend of mine have written a musical. And they promised us uh, 
a certain amount of actors from New York City because we're going to work on it and rewrite it and, and, and try to get it, make it better. Mm-hmm. And, and they lied. And, and they essentially took away an actor, uh, well, two actors that we wanted. So uh, my friend and I had to give up money we were earning to, to pay to get another actor, to get an actor in as opposed to uh, they had a, like an intern or an apprentice sure. or uh, someone in the school there. And I um, – so we, I was supposed to make $1,500. Now, I've spent two years working on this play. We're going to make fifteen. – I'm making 1500 He's making 1500 Now I'm down to like 1200 and uh, And we have to rent a car. So I go across town uh, – because I want to come back and see the play. I'm, I'm broke. So I want to be able to fly back, see the play. Because what they said was, is, oh, you'll be able to stay uh, when the play's being done. We have an apartment for you. Well, they lied about that. Oh, no. So I go across town, and I don't know these people. And I, I really had started to do stand-up. I mean, I'd started to work in clubs, and I was kind of uh, – and had done, and done some uh, – a bit of touring at this point. Had worked in clubs around the country. Go in. And do a 20-minute audition, and they hire me on the spot for to work in a month, and they're going to pay me uh, 1500 a week, a week, give me a car, and put me up in a better hotel. And I was like, what's wrong with this picture? <laughs> this, this, the drunk here with the, the double vodka who has never seen me before, is more ready to work with me than the theater that I just spent seven years prepping in school for. Wow. And so I said, I went, I'm crazy. I really have to, if this is the deal, I got to do this. And and in the end, it's like writing, the the, the real hookup between them is, is it, was, it was always a way for me to write and get my writing seen. Uh, you know, I could get my writing out there and have it seen by people and heard by people. Do you feel like uh, is your uh, is your playwriting voice similar at all to the stand up voice? I mean, is, did, would, if I if you saw if someone saw Lewis Black play, would they go, "Oh yeah, I see, I see the traces of it." There was certain, my one acts were much more became my one acts, which were written way early, um, are much more similar to this kind of uh, kind of bleak vision that I have now. <laughs> but I mean, really, I and I mean, because you would know. I mean, I wrote a one act called The Deal, and it was about two guys like a. Um, a Trump and another one of those uh, crazed CEO figures in a room. They're they're cutting a deal and they're they're doing it in a room that's so high uh, that uh, birds suffocate at that height. <laughs> and they cu- and they cut this deal. And the deal is that uh, you'd never know what it is that they're what they're what the deal is about. You know, they just keep talking about stuff. And basically, they're negotiating, but you have no idea over what. And at the end of the play, which is very similar to my work now, the two guys are, uh, have come to a, an agreement and are squeezing each other's balls, <laughs> sc- screaming, screaming, it's a deal, it's a deal. So, And so that's the uh, – that was the kind of – that was really the kind of stuff that I wrote, which also explained why it was getting done a lot. <laughs> Well, I mean, it seems, you know, I, I, I feel like uh, stand-up, while some people look at stand-up and they go, well, that's the hardest thing to do because you're exposing yourself in front of people. I, I always feel like, well, it's the easiest in the sense that it doesn't rely on anyone else. Right. You theoretically could just go into a park and start talking out loud and do it as opposed to 
well, I got to book a theater, I got to hire actors, or I'm in a band, I need other band members, we need to book in a venue, we have, there's travel expense, like, it really seems like the most streamlined of all of the arts, because you can, it's just you and your voice. Yeah, basically. I mean, it really is, I mean, that's, uh, it's, uh, and, it, it, and in a sense, if you're willing to do the suffer, you know, which is, I mean, the way in which you learn stand-up is by, uh, is by, uh, you know, um, s- screwing up. I mean, where you you learn you learn stand-up and and playwriting in many ways through failure. Sure. You know, you because as you well know you do something and you you hit it. You know, the first time you hit a line, you go, "This is great," and then you go back to the next line and nobody laughs. <laughs> and then the third night, it's a little bit better, and you're like, "What? The, this is funny." And then eventually you find it again, you know, but and that's the way you learn how to do it. But the, uh, um, it, it's, it, if you're willing to go through those knocks, yeah, because it's just you and, and the audience and it's, there's no filter, you know, you, you know, you're, you, I've, I've been working in this business. You somehow have managed to avoid a certain amount of, when you deal with the, like television and the box and all of that, there's this, there's a certain amount of asshole that comes into play, as you well know. The guy comes up and well, you know, Chris, if you really would just yeah lay back here and uh, and use less gel, you yeah. know, whatever the fuck they've got to tell. Right. You know they they're um and 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 stand up really, and for me, I think that was really one of the big hooks for me was is it was just me and the audience and nobody telling. Yeah, the, the audience was telling me, not some jackass refereeing for the audience, and that's really, uh, I think, uh, the the what's what's truly great about it. Is, well, especially when you started really doing stand up in in the eighties. I mean, television is so much different now than it oh, was yeah. then. Oh, yeah. I mean, like. You know, this show I'm doing for Comedy Central, we just say whatever we want and they just bleep it. And yeah. there's no real content constraints. But then, but in the 80s, I mean, even, I feel like even as recently as like maybe 10 years ago. Two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> there's still a lot of, I'm sure you probably ran into this a million times where you work on something. They go, Lewis, we want this show to be edgy. And you're like, all right. And you start doing what you do and they go, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? You're like, but you said, you told me this is what you wanted. Oh, well, we didn't really mean that. Right. We were just saying that because it's we sound cool when we say that but really our souls do not bend that way yeah, yeah exactly no that was really that was a lot of it i mean i went through a lot of those uh those meetings all of that stuff you know it was like we, we they, well they always came to me because you know you're really you're different you're unique and then it would be wow you're too unique you know <laughs> we want angry well we didn't really want angry right uh, tv angry tv yeah <laughs> they uh and then uh I had the interesting experience of going to. Uh, we pitched something at a, at, a, at at one of the the cable outlets, and they uh, and they went, oh, you know. Now, meanwhile, I'm I'm I'm. A, this is the part of the premise. I'm a dope smoking drama professor who's telling his kids, um, you know, just horror horror stories of of what it is to to, to work in the theater, go to New York because they're you know, and it's these bright eyed kids, and I. And um, and I'm and I'm close to getting thrown out of school. It's a similar. It was a similar character to the character I had in this movie. Accepted. That mm-hmm. was. I thought you know that's. We'll take that because we've been through every fucking character. <laughs> right. So we'll take the character that I. This one I know 
This is a time-tested and proven character that we can take from here to here, and and just and not the not the uh, not the I'm not the dean of a school or anything else, but just that kind of a psychotic. And we do that, and we and I'm and it turns out at the end of the show you find out that you know not you know not only I'm like a complete reprobate, and uh, I'm I'm still living with my mother. And I'm on, and I'm riding a bike home because I have like five DUIs. <laughs> and they said it, you know, uh, we just don't think it's uh, it's edgy enough. <laughs> and I was like, "Are you shitting me? I've now lived long enough that I I have fallen completely in the crack. I was too edgy. Now I'm not edgy enough. You want me to fuck my mother?" <laughs> Is that what it's going to take? Condom or no condom? All right, we just want this to be edgy. In the butt, in the front or the back? We want it to be super edgy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, I, I think a lot of it is, a lot of times, you know, television people don't know exactly what it is that they want because, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, uh, cable has become such a force in television because you have smaller teams of people or one person going, you know, I like what you do. Just go ahead and do it because there's less risk because they don't have to support these mega, mega, mega structures of like a network, which is owned by a massive corporation. And, yes. and it's just like, oh, they can just go, hey, you know what? Just be you and it's cheap and we'll just deal with yeah, it. And then, I mean, and then you, you were already watching the next step, as you know, which is, is that, uh, once these idiots, and for reasons that I think have only to do with money, uh, marry the computer screen, which is a TV screen, mm-hmm. to the TV screen, <laughs> then we enter the then we enter the brave new world. There's no question. There's no question. It, it and it is it is a uh, it is a is it a it's a hardware driven um, change that we have to to make. But it, it's. The problem but is getting I people thought, to adopt. Well, I thought coming out of school in in literally 1970, uh, I thought um, that it was right around the corner. That's oh, wow. I really did. Because I'd read all of these books. My brother was involved in, you know, these the computer stuff. He was already always talking about it. And I thought, and by around the corner, I mean 15, I mean really 10 or 20 years. Right. How could it be? And then... And then it really, and then especially when Apple hit and all of that, I thought, well, it's got to be. Well, yeah, in 1970, I'm sure they were like, in the year 2000, human <laughs> beings will be beamed around the globe at light speed. But one would think that I really did, and even, you know, that even, this should have been done easily 10 years ago, that the TV and that, that this, there really is some bullshit. And it is about money, and it is about. How are we going to pay for this? Well, it's about, I think it has a lot to do with the same reason that, you know, there's not like a standardized, it's the same reason that people can't play the same video game on their uh, console and then take it onto their phone and take it onto a mobile, a, a different mobile yeah. device because it, it all starts getting into licensing issues like, you know, oh, one company will go, well, you know, you know, we're happy to standardize this platform, but, um, but we get to own that, right? And the other one's like, well, no, I think we should own that. And then all of a sudden it becomes yeah. – and then the software makers and the hardware makers and then no one – it is – it's all licensing stuff. It's just yeah. all licensing issues. Yeah, it's really extraordinary. And then who's going to get the money? And then, and then when you – especially when you start putting in uh, – uh, when, when you start talking about scripted shows – then we're talking about another union, you know, another six unions that, well, it, that are that are that want 
you know, I mean, it's it's basically, I mean, as, as, as somebody who who's done enough acting in this, the the things that I, the contracts I sign are massive in terms of <laughs> of like, you know, what what who, you know, where what what I'll get paid when it gets da da da, da and it really is, uh, you know, because the people now working on the web. You know, who are doing those series. Some of them really are happy just doing those series, but there are a lot of them who are really doing it to get a get to cable. Sure. You know, it's like the off Broadway of of cable TV. Right, right, right. In the same the same way that cable was the off Broadway of network television at a, yes, at a certain point. Uh, yeah. And then the internet definitely is that. But there is there is some device that's still out there, and you know, maybe it's a. Uh, Maybe it's an X, maybe it's Xbox One, maybe it's PS4, maybe it's the this mythological Apple television set that was Steve Jobs' last great thing before yes. he died. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but as soon as it's as simple for people to just hit the channel button to get over to the internet, I mean like the broad, like a lot of people. Yeah. Then uh, not the early adopters, but the, the late adopters. Yes. Once it's, once it's there, then... But who knows? Who knows? It's hard to get people to change their habits. People are afraid of new. Even podcasts we think of as, oh, podcasts have totally changed. You know, there's a whole form of media. They're still not, you know, like the majority of people still don't know what a podcast right. is. Right. It's a slow process. You really have to figure out how to fire it right into their brains. Yeah, you, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, the big question for me because it's, it's always been uh, in the last number of years is trying, trying to get my um, – my special scene. Mm-hmm. I ended up, uh, HBO had kind of uh, futzed around with me, and I lost the special because they futzed. And uh, and I went, you know, never, never again will I. <laughs> and, uh, and so I, uh, and I wanted to do my own. And so I ended up on, I did, a, 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 I did two specials that ended up on something called Epics. Right. Epics is kind of known, but not really has no, it's not an HBO, it's not a Showtime, it's not even a Stars at this point. It's in terms of being known. So it would, people saw it, I mean, it was seen, but not on the level that I know, you know, when I had the specials on HBO. Right. So it came around to let's do another special. I, I went, and, uh, and Louis had done, uh, Louis C.K. had done the, on his, you know, did it over the web. Right. Uh, Aziz, I think, did it. Then Jim Gaffigan, Gaffigan did, did it, it too. And I was like, now I, I'm I'm out a, a a a ton and and do less do less TV, and uh, and so uh, I'm thinking, how am I going to do it and be? How do we do it now? Which where I can't go on the web because it literally uh, half of my audience is, you know, over the age. I've got this audience range from, like, 12 to 80. Yeah. So it's like half of these people aren't <laughs> going to fucking, you know, they're not going to do it. <laughs> and so I can't do that. And, and you know, I can't. So I thought I went pay-per-view. And uh, and that was still didn't, you know, and that. And, and it was still on the platforms. And it was still tough to get. To get that, to get the audience I was looking for, it's hard to find. I mean, it is, it is, it's challenging now. I mean, like the good news and the bad news is that um, there's not one machine in place anymore that tells people whether or not they can be seen by the rest of the world. I mean, that has all been flipped upside down. Anyone right. can put anything up. The the the, 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 the negative side is that there's so much noise now. How do you even get to the? I mean, you theoretically can reach those audiences, but how do you? mash through the wall of the million other things that have, have their attention at any moment. Well, that's the next 
I, whenever I talk to uh, kids, I say, you know, that if you really want to just figure out, if, you, if you're really looking for where the, the money is, uh, if that's your heart is set on earning an income and that's it, then you sit down and figure out how how you get your advertising across. Yeah. And you you figure out how to get through that noise and and they will they will come they will give you they will give you the they will give you all the riches in the world <laughs> because seriously I'm I it's staggering to me. I don't I, don't, I, I you know I, I go out um I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm I'm on the I'm in the newspaper, I'm in the magazine that they have. Um I have uh, 15 radio interviews. I do, uh, uh, and, and and so we do all of this stuff, and I still arrive in a town, and I'm standing there, and it's absolutely true, and I'm standing across the street from a uh, the theater that I'm working at, and the restaurant, I walk into the restaurant, and the hostess goes, God, what are you doing here? <laughs> and my picture, I'll never forget, my picture was sitting in the you know in the stack of like uh you know the uh, onion or whatever was yeah. the, the the their their lo- the local you know the paper that they have the local paper that tells you what's going on there my picture is there my name is on the <laughs> the theater i'm going what, what you know outside of what how do you reach people it's it's difficult because they're everyone's attention's pulled in a million different directions now and and even when their attention is pulled into one device, that device is a portal to a million different directions. And so yes. it's it's very difficult to just hit that, you know, and everything's so niche now, too. It's very difficult to find those different, you know, whatever, the strata of whatever conscious plane each of these people are on. Yeah, no, it is. It's extraordinary. It's And, and it's only been in a... I mean, maybe five years, seven years. Yeah. Seven years ago, it was like, if you were, uh, seven years, eight years ago, you were on the, if you were on the cover of the paper, or or you did a certain radio show in a certain town, it was done. Yeah. Then, every, then everybody knew, and they would come out. And now it's like, what do you, wow, I wish I'd known, you know. I wish, <laughs> and I kind of go, and I almost feel like I felt when I first started doing stuff was is that maybe I have to go back to just going door to door and handing out the cards and please come see my, you almost, my comedy event. You, you almost have to. Although when someone would answer the door, their face would be in their phone and they'd yeah, be like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. got it. Yeah. And then the next day they'd go, what are you doing in town? You're like, I just knocked on your fucking door. <laughs> yeah. We had a 10-minute conversation. What do you mean what am I doing in town? Yeah, exactly. No, it would be the same. <laughs> but I think, um, you know, I think there's also a certain amount of <clears throat> um, there's a certain amount of magic that's involved. In, and I, what I mean by that is like, just sort of luck of which way the wind blows, you know, yeah. like, oh, well, the wind happened to, you know, like the the public consciousness wind happened to blow in your direction. It's an unpredictable thing. It just happened to work this time. Yeah. Other times it doesn't work. And I don't know, you know, people always ask me, like, uh, how do I make a video go viral? And I go, well, I don't if, if I knew that I would have a gold airplane and I would be dumping hundred dollar bills on people. I don't you don't you don't you can't tell someone how to make something viral. I know that's the when they when they uh, the when the, when that first started and I was doing I had one I had a special coming on, you know, eventually the special goes on to Comedy Central and they wanted me to do some stuff for him and I did. 
And he said, but what we're really looking for is a viral video. And I go, well, surprisingly, so am I. (laughs) I never thought to try to make a thing that would get as as popular as possible. Really? You know, I mean, (laughs) what are the the chances of coming up? You know, I said, I can tell you how. I said, you know, if I cut off my penis, (laughs) we'll we'll have a... I know that. I'm pretty sure that'll go viral. (laughs) And then with a laugh track, whatever it takes. But to, to ask for... I've been in one thing... Um, that I knew, and it was the first time I, and that I know that the day, at least, uh, and I think that the Daily Show occasionally, it, but I'm not sure if the Daily Show's ever done. We, we did the thing about where I knew it would go viral. I just knew it. And that was the first time ever. It was the thing about, uh, Texas was that Rick Perry was running around trying to, doing ads, trying to, you know, don't go, you know, come to our state. It's the best. And, uh, and he was sending these ads and, you know, you don't want to really go to New York. And so my, we did a thing in which I basically did this. Uh, we have this in New York and it was basically a lambasting of, of all of the bullshit he was throwing out. And we just knew that it was going to go crazy. And part of it we knew because at the end of it, we had people in 16 or 18 languages saying, fuck you. <laughs> so it was, you know, the cab driver, the guy at the, uh, the guy serving falafel. It was like, uh, and so we knew it. But that, you, you know, that, that's like just, it's the, the, you, you, the, the planets are aligned, you get it. Right. You know, and even if I knew it was going to explode, and I, and I pretty much figured it was going to go viral. We, and they'd even set up a website already. You know, they had set up a website to go to. It is that that, that, that idea of feeling that the plant, like there, every once in a while, yeah. you just feel, and it's almost like, um, I mean, you know, like it's it's the same as any relationship. Like when you meet someone, you click with, you immediately know, like, oh, there's something really special here, or a joke. Oh, I just know this has got to work. But a lot of the time, you just kind of, just sort of. Push it out there and go. Yeah. Eh? How about no? Yeah. Okay. Well, how about this? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, you want some of this? Yeah. I mean, it is because it's like. Uh, it's, I mean, especially when you think about the fact of how much, how much time, energy, and effort goes into um, your sh- you know, your show on Comedy Central or any of any sh- any of the shows. You know, Nick's Grohl's show. Yeah. Uh, you take any of these shows. The 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 army behind it to get it up and out there and. Uh, and all of these minds working on it, you know, and and it doesn't go viral, you know. A billion people don't turn it on, right? And yet, all of that, and then all of a sudden, some schmuck in his uh, in his bathroom stumbles on, you know, lighter fluid and a cat and a couple of <laughs> hoses or whatever, and it and it does, and there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's whatever, and it's that thing you're talking about. There's fifteen fifteen thousand. It's whatever catches the eye. Well, I, I think so. I. You know, sometimes what I tell people is like, well, I don't think you know what you don't want anything to go too viral because, as at a certain point, it starts to loop around, and then everyone's like, "Fuck that thing! It's too popular." <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone loved Gangnam Style for about two months, and then afterwards, like, "God damn it! Yeah. I don't fucking shoot myself <laughs> if I see that guy again." You know, like, yeah. and then and then it then here comes the backlash, which is the the tail of the shark swims back around and smacks you in the face. So you know, it's like. You want a certain degree. I feel like you want a certain degree of visibility so you can keep doing the thing that you love. Yes, but not so much that it basically gets so hot that it all of a sudden just ignites and right. lights on fire, and then you're dead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but that's it. It's it is, and it's like that with uh, with even a TV show where they love you for three seasons, and all of a sudden, oh, you really what happened? What what went wrong? I mean, seriously, it used to be so good, man. Yeah. 
So yeah. no, it's the same. It's like the, you know, <laughs> yeah. the characters are saying different things, but it's the same. Yeah. Yeah. No man. <laughs> fucking all went fuck this man. Yeah. Everyone's, always, everyone's always ready to be in fuck this man yeah. mode. Yeah. It's like, nah, fuck this. This used to be good. <laughs> so you just, you just sort of hope like, well, I just hope I get to the point I want to get to before people are like, fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then I move on to something else. And then hopefully I can move on to something yeah. else. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Do you feel like uh, you're like nine specials in at this point? About, about six or seven. Six or, or seven? Yeah. Is it... Uh, is is it, do you do you feel like you have the process down or is it does it still feel pretty similar? It's uh, I don't if I had the process down, I, I would I'd be much happier. <laughs> would you though? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Would you or would you even because you have you know ever because you have your brain? Do you feel like you would recognize if you if the process was easier or do you feel like habitually there's a certain dissatisfaction? Or there's a certain stumbling block, maybe that isn't even there, but you just assume is there. Uh, no, there is. A st- I think there is a stumbling block, uh, at least in the terms that I look at, especially because I'm always looking um, for a through line to what I do. It's like a, from write, from sure. writing plays. So I'm always looking for that's essentially I, w- I want an arc to what I'm doing, and that really takes fucking. That's like the playwriting part. It's, let's suffer through this, but no, it's. But it, but what it allows me to do is go out. I mean, really, in the end. But what it really allows me to do too is to go out and try stuff. I mean, I'm in theaters. I'm right. Here's. I mean, I'm writing on stage. Yeah. Which is insane. Um, but the audience, after a number of years, I've, the audience that I've developed, that's what they come to see. They sure. know that I'm up there, kind of winging a, ch- a chunk of it, and uh, and so I I do kind of try to come up with. And and it all is a kind of a, um, uh, how do I put it? They, that um, it's it's it, it's always kind of the same themes, and I just try to go f- to really define it better. Mm-hmm. Here's really what I'm trying to say. No, here's really. <laughs> I think I got it this time. Let me try that again. And and that's really what makes it interesting and difficult at the same time. It's what continues to, as long. I mean, I'll keep doing this as long as I'm kind of. Uh, really, uh, at the, that the audience really uh, seems to enjoy it, and that I'm still feel like I'm learning something, and that's what I, I feel like most of all that that that's what it's about is learning something when you're up there. Do you envision a time where you just go, ah, fuck all this? I I kind of I I I think it'll. It, 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 it's, I said a few years ago. Well, I think we got about three more years. And now it's three more years, and I'm going. Well, maybe five. Maybe <laughs> so it really depends, and it depends on. On on whether I feel I hit the end of the road, and if I want to go, and I still want to write more, and it's just that finding it's finding that time, yeah, you know, and so that I might, uh, you know, I still have like I'm I'm still doing a uh, ton of dates, so it might mean over time I'll I'll kind of do less dates, yeah, and stuff. I feel like younger you, younger us, is always fucking arrogant because. You you know when you're when you're 20 you go when I'm 25 it's over and then you get to 25 and you're like what am I talking about it's not over <laughs> then you go 30 and you get to 30 you're like that's eh, not that well 40 and then you get to 40 and you're like no no I'm still here you yeah. know like you all you always are looking ahead and going when I get to there yeah. then it's over like yeah. why do we do that like why can we not just go oh yeah I've been through this a million times when I get to that point in my life I'm probably gonna be okay yeah. and not ready to just curl up and die <laughs> yeah it is and it really and, and more so as you get older. You know, it's really uh, my parents are ninety five and ninety six. Oh and, wow! 
And so uh, a lot of what kept them going from like, I would say, 75 to 90, until they're, now they're slowing down, but they're still like on it. They still get it. They're still, you know, they're still really there. They read a lot. They, you know, but they, from about 75 to 90, they were going out. I mean, they would literally fly places, go visit things, go do stuff. I mean, you know, and, you know, and it's kind of like what you really, you kind of go, oh, good, I can finally go do this shit as opposed to, <laughs> as opposed to what I do, which is I, oh, I'm in Memphis. Let's go see uh, this museum, and now I'm on stage, and then we're gone. You know, it's they, they really, uh, they, they, they kept paying attention. You know, and my father painted until he was eighty-five. Yeah, your dad was your was your dad a mechanical engineer and a painter at the same time? Not at the same time. He left mechanical engineering, retired, and became a uh, and and apprenticed to a guy who did stained glass. When he was fifty six, fifty seven, and then the, the stained glass, he realized by the time he was sixty, this is that whole thing of like you know whether you're gonna stop or something. So at sixty, he he realizes you know it's he's not gonna get as much done doing stained glass because it's you know a real intensive process. And he and he goes, he starts taking art classes at the local college, and and then started painting. And so two of the last two sets that I've used have been his paintings. Wow, blown up and uh, and he's he's really good. I mean, it was one of these things where uh, I didn't understand it at all for a long time, and then his I'm, I've gotten to know his teacher over time. He had the same two teachers who were also artists, and and he said the you know he, he really did this exhibition. He said uh, <clears throat> the the problem with your father's paintings are, is he said they're too um, they need to be on large buildings. They're these are really meant to be huge and so he took and they are they're big they're like you know these it's a lot of the stuff he did was very big and uh he put them all in this in this area of the school where they could be hung on these walls and it was spectacular i mean it was unbelievable then i went oh okay now i get it he's not he's not psychotic (laughs) do you see any parallels between whatever the stories are that he's telling with art and the stuff that you're doing, do you see any parallels? No, because he was, he, this is what he calls his art, hard-edged abstractionism. Okay? I don't even know how to explain that. <laughs> even, even if we were on television, um, triangles and, you know, objects in space, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then um, the, he, he rarely did, uh, he did the only... One of the few times in his life he did a, a what I would consider to be a representative or something realistic or even vaguely you knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Other, it was uh, he gave me a thing. It was uh, it was it, the two two Leco lights, you know, these spotlights, and one set of spotlights was on these uh, three ascending breasts in in size, and then it said and, and then there were three size asses with a spotlight on him so it was uh, tits and ass <laughs> and he never titles anything or signs but it was show business by sam black <laughs> and, and that, that i think is as close as we got <laughs> That's as close as you guys <laughs> came together yeah well i love the idea that i mean it's it's comforting to me to be able to say like you know, at 60, I could decide I want to do this whole other thing and still have, like, 25 years of doing that thing and perfecting it. Yeah, and it, well, it's what will probably give you the other 25 years, you know? I mean, I mean, for me, I switched at 40. 
I mean, that's the thing when I talk. That whole thing when I'm when I talk to kids is is that, you know, you know, just do what you want to do. It just choose to do what it is you want to do. It will lead you to something else, and then it will lead you to something else. But as long as you like doing it, you know, you'll be able to follow a path. Do not, you know. Don't panic about it. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You're 22. You got to. You can. You may be doing eight things during the course of your life. I mean, I've been lucky enough to be able to write and act, and I mean, I, I was able to do things I never expected to do. Well, and you weathered a lot of. I mean, not a lot of people weathered the 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 comedy eras. Well, it's like some people thrived in the 80s, and then the business changed in the 90s, yeah. and then it was like. A lot of those people didn't thrive, and then a new crop came along. But you've managed to weather all of it. Yeah, I got. Yeah, it was a, it was a, partly timing in a sense of when I came out and and when Comedy Central was breaking, and the fact that the the kids really found me before the parents found me. Mm-hmm. That was probably huge, huge because uh, people my age are stupid. <laughs> kids, kids can retain things. I mean, kids are the ones who's told their parents to sit down and watch this guy. So that was really the big help. And then it's been weird because it really has been um, families show up to see my show. I mean, it's but I mean, to me, it's that's the real that's what's been great. It's these families. I mean, I. One of the great nights that I've ever had as a comic is this couple shows up, normal looking, just, you know, straight uh, couple. They show up and uh, they watch a show of mine in Atlanta at the punchline down there. They, uh, and they, afterwards they go, gee, you know, uh, we got a, we have a 15 year old and he loves your stuff. And they said he couldn't come because, you know, it's an adult show. I said, well, I'll get him in. I'll tell him he's my cousin. I don't give a shit. So I say, you know, they're bringing my, they're bringing a 15-year-old tomorrow. It's fine by me. It's fine by them, okay? So they bring the kid back the next night. Now, they, both parents and the kid, are all decked out in heavy metal outfits. I mean, <laughs> leather and fucking they got, all of a sudden, the kid's got three spikes in his face. The, the parents have like these fucking crazier ears. The, the dad's now got two earrings that are huge. And the mother's got this other stuff, like practically a, a bone in her nose. And I'm like, wow, wowie zowie. You know, I mean, that's really a family that, you know, and it's like Metallica and uh, D- Death Angel or whatever the fuck. I was, it was one of the more impressive. I like to think the backstory on that is the parents were like, that they're a very like a, like a yuppie couple was like, how are we going to reach Junior? <laughs> yeah. Well, he really enjoys these ripped up T-shirts and metal sounding songs, and so that they basically just adopt these persona yeah. the, this, around the kid, so they can be like, yeah, man, fuck the man, and then secretly, you know, they're a part of the system. It was really funny. I just couldn't believe that. That is funny. <laughs> do you? Do you? I don't know. That, do you have kids or no? No. The state won't allow it. <laughs> I made a commitment of my commitment has always been if I'm gonna I'm gonna screw up my friends' kids. That's what I'm gonna do. At least then you don't have as much responsibility. Yeah. You can, it's sort of like it's sort of like um, you know I sometimes say to people like you know if you're in a movie or a sitcom or whatever you don't want to be the main guy 
You want to be the side guy. <laughs> yeah. No responsibility on the shoulders. You come in, you get to be funny, you leave, everyone loves you. Yeah. You know? No and one you, blames you if anything gets fucked you up. You got three hours of work. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> as exactly. Opposed to eight. That's right. Yeah, you don't take the show home with you. It's very much, it's very much the same thing. Yeah, I'm not sitting with the writers. <laughs> Did you ever think at any point, like, oh, maybe I could, you know, maybe this is something I could do, like raise a human being? I mean, I if things look, if I had, uh, if I if I'd broken when I was uh, forty, even. Uh, if I had broke through, I mean, because forties when I kind of I go on the road at the age of forty and I, I'm going to clubs, yeah. I'm spending five days, you know, at Snackies in Bahuda. <laughs> I mean, it's like so, and I'm home hardly at all, and uh, and I just, uh, but if it, if if I had kind of hit when I was forty and uh, and in and, and things had, you know, maybe that would have been different, but when by the time I hit. Uh, and also, by the t- when I started going out at forty, I thought, you know, I I had already committed to. I was already committed to. This is like my marriage. Mm-hmm. Was this? I'm fo- I'm pers- I'm like a. You know, it's like I'm gonna figure this shit out. <laughs> you know, it's like a detective looking to solve a. You know, a fifty year old mystery. How come I got? <laughs> how come I got fucked for so long? You know, I thought I was talented, and uh, and and really, so as a result, I I thought it would be. I just, you know, I was, I think, smart enough, maybe, or, or just, uh, but not, you know, I'm not to be, you know, I'm not going to take something, I'm not going to be around. Sure. And I'm not somebody who wants to do, you know, it's like, oh, let's have a kid, and then I'll, hey, we'll see ya. Yeah, exactly. You know? Oh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and then you, and then you hit, I'm not, and also, it was like, uh, my friends are always saying by, uh, by the time I reached uh, 60, it was like, oh, you know, well, you could. You could still have a child. No. <laughs> no, it's so... And I, and I do think it's... I mean, it may be when... If the, if the, if the, the, the next generation lives... If you live to 120, sure. If they've got... If the, if the pigs really do, they, they create the pig that has 15 livers like yours. Sure. <laughs> they just swap them out. You know? <laughs> and, they, and they can... But, but not... I, I just it was like, you know, I don't... A kid is supposed to... To grow up with you, not not watch you grow, grow die. Right, right. You know? Oh, that's a, I never thought of it that way before. I never thought of it that way because people always do say, "Well, you know, men have it easy because you can have kids until you drop dead." And but th- but then you know, then you probably should say, "But should you do that? Should you should you do? Should you I, I, sire a child at seventy? I've seen guys who it, uh, who are in extraordinary health and. Uh, you know, really, you know, we're able to do it. So, you know, they, it, it kind of is not. But that's that's not the norm. The yeah. norm is, you know, I, I said, like, I didn't want a kid, you know. You know, I'm my 12-year-old son firing a football into my chest, and I'm 72, and bam, I'm lying on the ground, you know, because he's broken my 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 chest bone, and I'm and I'm dying in front of him. I just I just don't good arm, son. Yeah, I mean, I just don't, and especially even more now than then, in a sense, uh, that uh, if by the you know. I've, the the one thing I know from being I'm born in I mean I, I and I think I wish my generation would get a fucking especially leadership get a grasp on we were born in a different fucking time zone it is the ball the fucking game board has changed 
We were we were born in what we could be called the maybe an industrial age or whatever the fuck you know. We are now, let's say, for all intents and purposes, in the technological age. They're two different time frames. We we were we we were being and I was being prepared to live you know because I was born in 1948 I was being prepared to live probably by my parents and by my schools to live in 1927 because that's what they <laughs> fucking do and then, and then so I mean it's like we you know if I have a a kid the kid is light years I mean it's. I have more to learn from the kid than I have to pass on to the kid, except for some bits of wisdom. You know, here's five things. Here's here's the bazooka bubble gum. <laughs> you know, five things you should know. But really, it's you know, it's it's. Uh, it, 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 I I don't think I was would would be uh, if I if I'd had a child 15 years ago. Yeah, you know, then I could do it. But but being you know but at sixty to be able to deal with a kid by seven who's got sixteen devices and is fucking you know by the time I could stop what the shit that he was watching you know he'd be watching even further deeper shit so it's <laughs> so I I feel like uh, it's 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 all worked out for the best. Get off my lawn! I'm your kid. Oh. <laughs> all right, uh, get off it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> Don't talk to me like yeah. that. <laughs> I think it's great that you know. I think it's I think it's a valuable lesson to anyone who's young and impatient, twenty one, twenty two, twenty five years old, and saying like, "Why isn't this happening for me? Why isn't this happening for me?" To know that you, you know, it took you twenty years, really. Yeah. But you, but something about you hung in there something about you said you know i'm still was it was it making it about the process of writing or performing or or did did you ever say like wow oh, am i not doing the right thing or did were you just committed to like whatever happens i'm this is I, what i'm gonna do i i i, I was probably i knew in in part that uh i wasn't doing the right thing but i believed <laughs> i mean in, in the sense of the way i dealt with in meetings and stuff i was not good in meetings no no, I was really, I mean, I was really crazy. I mean, I, in that, you know, in retrospect at the time, I, uh, I, I really did feel like, um, that kind of thing of like, uh, that the person sitting across from me who, who I, I truly knew more than and had been educated to know more than needed to be told that they were wearing the emperor's new clothes, right? That right. they were naked and just, and I, and it, and it and I and it really pro- it made my career longer than it needed to be. <laughs> and uh, I, because I once had a meeting with a guy, and it was, uh, it was, we did this stuff. We we all of these playwrights were were basically uh, brought in, and it was about writing for television. And uh, and the only show that I really wanted to write for television at that point, and this is way way back was uh, something along the lines of, of, like, The Daily Show, but a weekly, like what John Oliver is doing, a weekly news thing, that was the week that was, all that kind of thing. Yeah. I just, that was what I knew. And I went in, and I said, at the meeting, they, she said, uh, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't have any, um, I, don't, I don't really have an interest in writing a sitcom. The only thing I have an interest in writing, you're not going to be interested in. So I just wanted to meet you and say hi and thank you for the course and everything. And it was, it was just like the vice president of CBS. And he goes, well, you know, um, uh, we're, you know, I just really would be interested in what you. And I said, no, you wouldn't. <laughs> I said, I know you wouldn't be interested in it. Nobody's interested in it. If you were interested in it, something like it would be on television. Well, that's precisely why you should tell me that maybe it should be on television. No. 
I know, and you know why it's not going to be on television, and I don't want to hear it from you. The anti-pitch. I don't want to hear it from you, okay? I just want to be able to, I want to reject it on my own, okay? <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I say, because I know you are. And he goes, well, you know, let me be the judge of that. And I said, okay, I'm going to tell you. And then I pitched my show. And he, he basically told me, you know, that I, want, I wanted to do a thing and that, about the news and the way, you know, and what was funny about it and, uh, and gave him all the, all the fucking examples that were out there that had kind of landed over the course of th- TV's history. And he went, oh, you know, that's, <laughs> you know, it's just not going to work on television. And I said, I fucking told you. I fucking told you. I said, and I'm right. It will work. And you are wrong on this. And God damn it for making me tell you. But isn't it nice to know that you were right in the long term? At the time, you may have basically just poured gasoline on the bridge and lit it on fire. But you know that you were right. I was always kind of the guy. I always had trouble with authority. And that really held up the career. But what kept the, but what, what was my impetus was I really liked what I was doing. And I would, and I knew that nobody was going to support me. And, um... And I, I would live whatever. I didn't look for a one, you know, a lot of kids move into New York City or wherever. And how they do this is beyond me. But for a, looking for, I need a studio bar. I need to live by myself. Well, I never, it, I couldn't do that. I had to live with people in order to be able to afford to do what I was doing. And that was all I cared about. And that kept me going. I, I loved what I was doing. And I had a real, and then I would run rooms I would just do things on my own. I, 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 I produced all of my plays on my own. I didn't need a lot. You need a little bit of light. You don't need a lot of, you know, you, you know. imagine this. I mean, you know, and let's just do it and see where it goes. And the, uh, and I, would, I, I ran a room in the village for a number of years. I mean, it was right down the street from all these places that, uh, you know, you know, all of the, the, the village gate was there where Lenny Bruce had worked. And then across the street was where Bob Dylan had worked. And I'm, right, and I'm around the corner at Goofy Fartland. <laughs> but I found this space. <laughs> and, I brought in, and I brought in really great Chris Whitley, who happened to be this great blues guitarist who I found on the street, came in and he would play on Thursdays. So it was great. It was like I was, you know, I was, you know, and I, and I didn't have to have a lot of, of money to do it, you know, at the time. It was not, uh, it was fun. And then I just kept, and I'd been reinforced enough. I had just enough reinforcement. And there was nothing else I wanted to do. That's the other thing. And I think the thing that people should know, and you probably know it from doing it, but it, it, it's not like um, you, you, you don't worry about whether you've made the right choice. Because the right, if it's the wrong choice, you're going to quit. Because if it's the right choice, you stick with it. No matter what. No matter what, you don't give a shit. Yeah, that's right. I always tell people that. I go, look, just start doing stand-up. If, it's, if, if you're supposed to be a stand-up, you'll bomb for a month and you'll still go, but I got to go on stage tomorrow night anyway. Yeah. And if you don't do that, then maybe, you know, maybe it's not your passion. Yeah, but it's, it le- or acting or whatever it, whatever it is, you know, it, it, especially in terms of, of doing something within entertainment, you know, it, it, it's it, it you 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 don't choose. It's not a choice. Right, right. That's why I wonder if your aversion to authority has anything to do with being kind of like an artsy teenager in the '60s, where it's just where that was the sort of like that was 
what was happening at the time as this counterculture. Do you think that had anything to do with it? I think it had to do by the time I got to college because things were really, they, you know, really, and it wasn't, it was social as much as it was artsy. It was, it was artsy in the sense that uh, my, um, the theater department at the school was really uh, at the, you know, it was like a, an, a really aging theater department that uh, had a couple of real bright lights. And then the rest of it was like, a, you know, it was like the I went to school in the South. It was like the South was the crumbling South. <laughs> um, and I mean, you got to realize I went to school at a time in which uh, the girls my first year, this is this really dates me. But it, it, well, it also shows you just how fucked up we are. I go to school in 1967 at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and the girls have a curfew. Oh, well, <laughs> there are still schools like Pepperdine. You cannot have like the in the dorms. You can't have the opposite sex in the dorms after 1 a.m. No, there are girls' dorms and boy dorms, and at 1 a.m. Because I was I went to UCLA and I had friends who went to Pepperdine and and you know Pepperdine is a. Uh, I, I I guess it's kind of Christy. And, so and so they would sounds so they, like a snack. <laughs> Christy's <laughs> it's just a cheddar shaped crucifix. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, and so there was someone in the audience of our show the other night, and I was like, oh, where do you, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm in, I'm in school at Pepperdine. I go, oh, do they still have, are the dorms still? And she separate. And she goes, yeah, yeah, you're not supposed to have someone in your dorm from the opposite sex after one a.m. And there's like really. That's amazing. That is amazing. That's stunning. Yeah. So not. I feel like not that much has no, changed wow, in some senses. Wow. So it, it was like that, and we were, <clears throat> and and a, and a lot of what was going on really needed to be the, the structures were really fucked up. Yeah. And so so that had a lot to do with it. it was in terms of where my the the authority thing came and the fact that. Uh, uh, my father is the only person who read that. We went to war in Vietnam uh, because of a thing called the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which is based on the Geneva Accords. And my father is the only person in the history of America who read the Geneva Accords. <laughs> and he said, and I trusted him on it, he read the whole thing. He's the only one who read it. And he said, you know, there's no legal basis for us to be at war. And that was a big turnaround for me, to have somebody doing research. <laughs> and that really probably flipped the switch in me, too. Well, but to have, man, but to be at that age and care about what was happening, you know, sociopolitically, I feel like a lot of, you know, not to shit on all teenagers, but I feel like a lot of teenagers now don't care about those kinds of things. That's just my guess. Just the temperature that I feel when I'm on the internet. Yeah. I feel like, you know, that now a father could tell their kid that I read this whole resolution that those for me at war. So, whatever. <laughs> Fuck you. Yeah. Don't talk to me. You don't know me. Yeah. You don't understand me. Well, like part I, of it is, too, I think that the difference was once, we're, once again, we're dealing with that uh, 12,000 things occurring. Sure. And you don't really, you could have a universe of 6,000 and completely not even know <laughs> about this fucking airliner, which I think has taken over everything. Oh, that, yeah. That airliner story. Is... Well, Courtney Love's on the case now, too. Did you read that? <laughs> no. Courtney Love has been looking at satellite maps. No. She's... This is on the fucking Google News page. <laughs> and, it's, and, it's, and it hilariously says, Courtney Love uh, aids in Malaysian airline search. She's been looking at satellite images, which are freely available to anyone, and she was like, oh, there's one part where I'm sure I see um, oil slick in the ocean. And so, uh, and so, so rest easy. Courtney Love's on the case. Wow. 
Yeah. Wow, that took my breath away. <laughs> wow, this is that's... absolutely true. And I kept thinking, how fucking amazing would it be if Courtney Love is the person that finds this plane? Then. Well, then I'd forgive her for all her sins. <laughs> you would. And how stupid would the rest of the world, like, every airline agency everywhere, like, yeah. hey, way to go. Courtney Love fixed your job. <laughs> and, and it was something that everyone else completely missed. But, uh, yes, it, it's, this, it, this has ta- it has taken over right now. It's an incredible mystery. Yeah. And, I mean, I think partly what changed my – what was the difference in my time was the fact that because you, your neighbors were going to Vietnam – and because they were literally jacking up the troop levels every week, and because it was an because it was a draft, the draft made a huge difference. The draft all of a sudden, because you're fifteen, sixteen, and you you got two years, and they could draft you, and you better be in college. And then uh, eventually, it was you better have a good number when they uh, pulled the lottery. So it kind of <laughs> forced you to focus. Forced you to focus a little bit, but, yeah. you know. And if we were gonna, if you were gonna go to war, you might want to go to a war that made some sense, right? You know, I mean, much in the same way that I felt, uh, I never felt that the, the the Iraq thing, the thing to me about the Iraq war was is we went into, um, the idea of going into the Vietnam, which always was psychotic, was, you know, we got to stop communism, communism's inroads in Chinese Asia, and that somehow if, if they go through the domino theory, if, you know, if South Vietnam goes, say, Thailand goes, the whole, you know, the whole panhandle goes, we, you know, and, and, and even now in retrospect, we knew nothing is a group of people. We know nothing. We're looking at a map, you know, it's green. And, uh, <laughs> and, that, and, the, and the war in Iraq to me was the same concept in a different fashion, which was they kept saying, we go into Iraq and they become a democracy and then everybody follows suit. It was the, it was the same thing, opposite, uh, taking the idea, turning it around, and then no, and no, there's, it's not a jungle, it's a desert. I mean, it was madness. So I, uh, I think that kind of got us to focus. I think that's what made, if that war in Iraq, if there was a draft, I think I'm not sure we would have been at war. How do you find the balance when when you're genuinely, when you're genuinely angry about something that you feel like people need to understand why this thing is right or wrong? How do you? I'm asking because whenever I'm really, really passionate about something on stage, people would just get uncomfortable. Like, yeah. where, how do you find the funny bits in there? It's um, it's partly knowing when you step over the line. You got to know when you step over the line. You, that that spider sense. You, yeah, you know that. that yeah. You know when you can feel them getting uncomfortable. When you feel the assholes start <laughs> yeah, yeah, tightening. Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When they're snapping. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> and so you got to be able to just step back and basically make fun of yourself. That's always been. I went, I've gone, I fear, I've, as soon as you let them, because the great thing about being in, in, in real time with them is, is that they just want, you know, there are a lot of, there are a lot of comics who work through silence. You know, they don't get a laugh and it, it's literally, I don't know what they're hearing in their fucking head. <laughs> and they keep going and then, you know, it's, they can go and it doesn't seem to matter. As if the audience isn't there, but the more that you're, you give that audience some sense of, uh, you know that they're. You know that you're not in a bubble, right? They uh, and you kind of let them know that you're conscious of their being upset. And that <laughs> you're the you're the asshole, right? It really is. Really, they love that, and because then it shows a your vulnerability. It's and it's just what you do to get the laugh, so you can move out of that fucking horrible space you've just dug for you. Right? Yeah, of course. Because it, it, it's almost the 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 role of a comic on stage. 
I almost feel like there's a strange dichotomy because they come together and they want you to lead them, but at the same time, they don't they still want to feel better than you and so they don't want to be threatened by you in any way. So no. you have to be this like strangely um weaker than them leader but strong in some senses that you're not afraid of i don't know it's this really strange thing that i've never been able to fully understand. yeah i mean it is odd they, i i think that uh but i do think in the end it's more it's like uh it's like what carlin said you know you're running the train that's the real that's the most important thing yeah that they because i think as long as they're once you know once you get past the first let's say 15 and they're comfortable with you driving the train then I don't think it matters. Right. Then it really doesn't matter at all because I think that's that's the thing. Because the first thing you notice when you're doing – well, I noticed it myself when I was doing stand-up was the fact that I was not I'm, – I'm so uncomfortable. How is this audience ever going to be comfortable? <laughs> I'm like – I was trying to light a cigarette and it was like watching – uh, it was literally uh, a, a bad space docking. I mean, I, it, it took it – and I would just – and I began to realize if I talked about it – it would it would t- it would ease the audiences. You know, obviously they they they're afraid they're going to go into flames. And I would just discuss. I would make things stories up about the flame and the cigarette, and it, it helped. But it you you know it's the first thing if you have to be relaxed for them to relax. Yeah. Do you feel like at this point? Um, do you feel like there's a hole that isn't filled yet? Is that good that it, if that's the case, is it good that the hole inside never gets filled no matter how hard you try? Or do you think that's a myth? What do you mean the hole? You mean I mean the, like you're constantly, if you're constantly touring, you're constantly doing stand-up, you're constantly putting yourself out there. There must be something that it is that we're trying to do. And I just assume like, well, it's a hole we're trying to fill. We're trying to like, oh, if I get this thing, then I'll, oh, that's not it yet. Or, or maybe you don't agree with that at all. I don't know. I'm, I don't think it's, I think it's, I just think it's fun. Well, that's the best answer. <laughs> I just think it's fun to go out there. You put in, I mean, you've done it. You put in all this time. You put in all this energy. Because um, people always say, why would you want to keep doing this? Or why, you know, and and um, my time frame is different than other people. It's not like I started going on the road at 20, you know. I started going on the road at 40. So I'm still at the point that I've gathered this audience Really? And now I'm going to, now that I finally did what I set out to do, I mean, I, you know, uh, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of here. Because it really is, you, you, you've, you've built it, you know, enjoy it. And, it. and it's that ability to be, because there, because that, it's always fun, generally, and it's, it's, there's always something that you learn out there. And there's always that, uh, that one in, you know, this one, one in like, it, it occurs maybe once once if you're lucky in a night, and maybe at certain nights it it it's the whole night where where it's not like and this is, but it's you, 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 you there is as much a part of you as you are them that it's really symbiotic. Sure, a word that I really can't use on a lot of <laughs> anywhere. I think. Well, it is. It is. You you do you do become part of the same organism, and you also know you do get that. You can feel in your molecules like anything I say at this point is going to fly because I'm so can I would literally have to I would have to like jerk off on a flag at this point <laughs> and then like stuff it in a dog's vagina on stage for to lose this audience. But in general, but you'd go viral. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> 
See, I gotta fight. I gotta give into those urges. I've gotta give into those urges. That's how you go viral. Is give into all urges at all times. But I do like. I do almost feel like you're an outlier from a comics point of view in the sense where you go, well, it's supposed to be fun. You know, like a lot of. I feel like a lot of comics do get the thing that they say that they want, and then it's like this didn't fix me. I'm not happy, and now I'm angrier because this didn't fix me. Yeah, my only, my, the only thing that I have about it is, is that uh, there, I really enjoy um, doing, you know, like I, I, when I, I have this play that was produced around the the country uh, about four productions in the last two years, so I could go away and just do that, and then come back to do the stand up. That really, that kind of, or going away and doing a film or doing a TV show. That that really is makes it even better, and that that I'm because it's it's using the same it's 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 using the same muscles in a sense, and it feeds, mm-hmm. and that, so when I go back, it's better. It's always better when I go back because I've always learned something here that I can use there. Well, and much in the same way that we were talking about before about how the platform is really the most important thing in terms of you know what's going to change media or what's going to level the playing field. It's occurring to me that it's the same it, the platform is key like context is key in anything it was like what you had done comedy all this for for so many years you had been a playwright for so many years and then you know the daily show is a lens yeah. where it's like now you've taken the sum total of all your experience and it's just the fucking perfect platform and then all of a sudden it just it, everything just changes yeah. the platform is key yeah do you did you have the freedom going into that show when you were first talking to them where you go look you know this is what I do and just let me do what I am going to do it, it does it work that way sort of like an independent contractor or it worked in the sense that uh the way in which um uh that uh they you know the, I I I'd, I'd spent about 5 years in New York doing clubs and stuff and running around the country and being told gee you know how come how come nobody, you know, you know, really? How, how come you haven't? You're so you, you're so funny. How you, come you're not selling tickets? Yeah, yeah. What's the deal? Yeah. And I would go, I, you know, talk to my agents. I don't know, and but but Liz Winstead knew me, and and, and Hank Gallo was one of the producers knew me, and so they knew all my they knew my stuff, and they knew that I basically walking around with, you know, ten years of stuff that nobody's seen. So I had this whole bag of shit that I could go, you know, that here's this and here's this and um, and all they and they just said, come on, and all we want to do is uh, help you edit it. And so I would come on and uh, I did it totally off the cuff the first like seven, and we would just there was no audience, which was really crazy, and it was. Uh, Craig Kilborn, you know. Oh, was, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which of was course. also, and, and I was on like the first or the second week, and I did it. And uh, we would do it, and then they'd go, keep, the, keep that, drop that, do this. I go, okay, great. And then I'd do it again, because it was like two, two minutes, two and a half minutes. Do it again, do it again. And then they would just go, oh, that's the one. And then they would put it on. Oh, wow. Before, but, so we had no. Then eventually it became, um, they, uh, um, we had a, we, an audience, so I got a, 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 a had a teleprompter, 
And uh, I would type them out, and then we would work through them, you know, and they would help me edit it. We throw it on that way, and then we went to the the video clip thing, and I ended up with two writers and a producer, and then we would sit down and get the stuff and put it together into a thing, and then it all just kept going like that. And it it was all it was all it was like uh, I did that when I met the Aspen Festival. Yeah, um, had something to do with it because uh, I did a one man show there. I did a. Uh, um, I I I've been on Conan like thirty times. All of the Jeez. things kind of came at the same time. Yeah, and and then Comedy Central, I had done, I had done four half hour specials at Comedy Central before anybody else had done two. I think because <laughs> I had all this stuff. A twenty year overnight success. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> I just had all this stuff around. Well, that's I think that's a good thing about succeeding a bit later than when you're twenty or twenty five because there's not a there's not a body of work, the foundation to support you or for or anything for people to get lost in. So people discover you on The Daily Show and go, oh, look at this. Oh, hey. Oh, my God. This guy's got all this. Holy shit. You know, like there's there really is more runway for for you at that point. There is. And then and there's also the fact that that, that uh, it's, you know, even when I finally met it, you that if I'd made it when I was a kid, I would not. Uh, I'm still kind of like, when are they gonna just come and go? Uh, um, we know, you know, and I know that this has been really bogus, and and there's no reason that any of this has occurred. And you'll have to just come with us now to a special space, and then you disappear. And, and you just everyone's got that. That would actually be a fun celebrity prank show yeah. basically just casting a guy that looks like the smoking man from X-Files yeah. and then he just goes up to people and he just goes hey look yeah. you may have fooled everyone <laughs> we know we've had our eye on you and then I swear to god almost every person would be like oh I knew this day would come yeah. like every, every fucking person not one person I think does not have that fear in the back yeah, of their I mean, head I, it's that funny it's you know because every so often uh, I'm, it, and it really doesn't occur much but about one, one, when your brain is such a fucked up thing it, but I'll be once in a thousand times on stage and I'll finish something and it'll really work and I'll think, what if this is what if this is the point that they they just go, All right, that was enough. <laughs> Cut the mic. Everyone get I, or, I, or, I, or I'll say something and people really like it and I know it's funny, but i you've done it so much that you go, I I can't believe this is working. <laughs> And you kind of have that. And, and so I think it's tougher in some senses, unless you're really born with that kind of, uh, if you're a natural, of which I have known maybe three in my life who are really naturals, where it's just totally instinctive. So they're always funny and getting yeah. up there and they're very comfortable from the very beginning. It's, it's tough at, the, at that age. to That kind of success is tough. Well, yeah, because it's... You know, you build it up in your head as like, well, this is the thing. And then, but, you know, the the peak is a peak. It's like, you know, there's not, you can get to the top of Mount Everest. There's not a lot to do up there. You yeah. got to go back down. Like, yeah. what's the, what do you, what do you do next? And yeah. so I think if you're young and you don't have as much wisdom or experience, then you're like, ah, I got to, uh, what do I do? You know, and then you fucking freak out. But when you're older, you go, well, you know, there's this sort of like parabolic curve Sometimes it's down here, sometimes it's up here, but it all evens out. Yeah. You know, you're okay. You could be okay. Yeah, it's that, and, and because for me too, the uh, the other reason that was always the, the most elusive thing to me and the oddest thing to me was is that comedy, which is a difficult 
craft to learn um, was uh, was was easier, and it's still much easier to do than learning. I don't understand the business. Oh yeah, no, it's it's impossible because it's essentially um, it's it's run by humans, and humans have weird idiosyncrasies and motivations that you would never be able to figure out one-on-one, let alone a directionless, throbbing mass that is fueled by fear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's no... It's, it's impossible. It's it is impossible. fueled by fear. Yeah. But um, but you seem to have managed to uh, navigate it quite beautifully. And I, I am also comforted by the idea of like, oh, you know, it should still be fun and not, <laughs> you know, not like, oh, I'm never gonna... Oh. <laughs> Um, so, so is the the most recent special is Old Yeller? Is it out yet, or is it it's, coming? I, out? It may be. It's still on demand, but nobody has told me. Okay, <laughs> I can't. I, but I think it is. And then it's also, <clears throat> and for those of you worried about the price, if you have seven people in the room, you could charge them and make money. <laughs> um, and then there's it's on uh, uh, the uh, the um, the uh, soundtrack is on iTunes, or maybe yeah, just I think it's this, just the CD version is on iTunes, and cool. then uh, May fifth it comes on Epics, which will then be on Time Warner. So then actually I think, and then and that actually then it covers everything. And um, have you already started writing the next? Yeah, yeah, of course you have to, you have to, because yeah. like if you're touring to support the thing, you have to have all new. Yeah, what that this was the first time too where I ran into usually what had been really good over the past four specials was the fact that I would f- finish the special and I'd have uh, I'd already be on the road doing before the special even aired or before I even did the special I'd already was doing forty new minutes. Oh, that's great! But now this time, Mister Asshole <laughs> didn't really prep it that well. But I had about twenty five minutes in it and. And I kind of have more of a sense of the arc, and I'm just trying to figure out. And then I'm doing some stuff that uh, uh, that I think will help me fill it in if if it, if it uh, if it works out. That if I I'm going to tour uh, Europe if it works out. Oh, and, great! And just go on my own and play like Stockholm, and so I think there's you know if I'm in if I'm in uh, you know. Bergen, uh, Norway, which I'll be performing in a 596-seater with a Norwegian opening act. I think that's five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. That always... Uh, my my early, early sets, I could never do outside the country because they were so America-based mm-hmm. that you really, you know, like, once you sort of once you sort of figure out, like, oh, I think I got this America thing down, you're like... Yeah, there's a lot of other countries, yeah. and you really better figure it out. But uh, it's been really great talking to you. I really appreciate Oh, It's so fucking awesome to get to chat with you. Oh, no, it's a pleasure, and I'm really. it was uh, really nice to be able to spend time with you. I'm glad we uh, got to talk. Yeah, please, anytime. Anytime you're in town, you, you're welcome to come back on or whatever, whatever oh, you that's want. That's great. Just fuck around, whatever. My pleasure. Uh, that would be fun. Good to see you, man. Good to see you. All right. Enjoy your burrito, everyone. <laughs> Thank Thank you. You. That was that great. That was fantastic. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Are you tired of dating assholes? Do you want a Prince Charming? If so, we're filming a reality show. Sign up here. Twelve American women are flown over to the UK for a Bachelor-style reality dating show. There are so many questions about a show like this, because it's so odd. These women have been told that they were going to be dating the world's most eligible bachelor, Prince Harry. What? 
Y'all playing with me, right? You can binge The Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.